So there's a line from a show that I've watched that has stuck with me, and it's so reminiscent of human nature. This character in a very pensive state says, I wish there was a way to know you're in the good old days before you've actually left them. He says, someone should write a song about that. Um, There is benefit of looking ahead, planning, thinking about the future. As those who know the salvation of our God, we know that our best days lie ahead of us. And when we enter into the presence of our God, we will have an unfiltered experience of joy and comfort. And so as we look forward to the future, this is good. At the same time, it's important to be present in the moment. Jeremy Camp wrote a song a few years back. I want to share a few of those words with you. He says, I've been thinking about family, how it's going so fast. Will I wake up one morning just wishing that I could go back? I've been thinking about lately, maybe I can make a change and let you change me. So with all my heart, this is my prayer, singing, O Lord, keep me in the moment. Help me live with my eyes wide open, because I don't want to miss what you have for me. Singing, oh Lord, show me what matters. Throw away what I'm chasing after. Because I don't want to miss what you have for me. This morning, as we again think through this incredible passage regarding Jesus' raising of Lazarus, I want to challenge us in a way that I believe that Jesus is challenging Martha. And to summarize, I would say it would be summarized like this. Don't miss the giver because you're enamored by the gift. Truly, the giver is the gift. So let's look over our passage this morning. In verse 1 of John 11, We have the introduction of what is happening. The context. In verse 1 it says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, of the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So the setting is Lazarus is sick. We've considered it. We've seen it. We know what's about to happen. We're aware. Verse 4, When Jesus heard it, He said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So Jesus is aware of what's happening. He's been informed of it. He says it's not ultimately going to end in death. There's something else here. But ultimately what is is going to happen is that God will be glorified in the midst of what is taking place. Verse 11. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. This is what's going to happen. 
He's fallen asleep. It's going to, in just two verses, say, Lazarus has died. He's not taking a nap. He's dead physically. I am going to awaken him. I'm going to make him alive. I'm going to raise him from the dead physically and with it glory. And many will be raised from the dead spiritually. Look at verses 38 and following. It says, Then Jesus moved deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up His eyes and said, Father, I thank You that You have heard Me. I know that You always hear Me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that You sent Me. When He had said these things, He cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out his hands and his feet bound with linen straps and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. They believed in him. That's the surrounding context. We've talked about it in the first week. I was talking and trying to point out the theme that Jesus did this to people that He loves. This text clearly declares that Jesus loves Lazarus. He's His friend. And He loves Mary and Martha, both with a friendship love and with a covenant-binding, unconditional love. Last week, Pastor Jeff led us in worship in this passage. And the concept was that of God's glory even in delay, accomplishing something glorious even when it hurts in the temporary. And this morning, we're going to focus our attention on one portion of this from verse 17 to verse 27. This will be at the heart of our worship this morning. This conversation between... Jesus and Martha. Look at verse 17. It says, Now when Jesus had come, He found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met Him But Mary remained seated in the the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if You had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever You ask from God, God will give You. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, 
yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. In verse 19, we're told that many Jews came to Bethany about just under two miles away. Came to Bethany from Jerusalem. It's likely that Mary and Martha and Lazarus are a prominent family. The reason I would say that is we have these travelers from Jerusalem, not a few, not a few hired hands, many Jews from Jerusalem making this trek there. We also see that, that Mary was able to spend an inordinate amount of money in anointing Jesus' feet. That'll take place in chapter 12. It's referenced in chapter 11. And we also know that this was the, the home that Jesus and His disciples were hosted where there was a conversation between Martha, Jesus, and Mary. We know about that from Luke chapter 10. Likely a prominent family. Many witnesses to what was about to happen. Many witnesses to what is about to happen. Many resultant believers. Believers who started spiritually dead this scene and end this scene spiritually alive. Very much like Lazarus starts this scene physically dead and ends physically alive. The point is not the physical resurrection of Lazarus because he was going to die again. That poor dude had to die twice. I was having a great conversation with some folks here this morning about, yes, we know that it's coming, we're going to go to heaven, but who wants to actually go through the experience of death? It's mysterious. We haven't walked that road before. We don't look forward to walking that road. We know that He'll walk that road with us. That's good news. We know what's on the other side of that road. That's good news. But the bad news is we're going to walk the road. And nobody wants to walk that road of death. Lazarus died, was raised, hallelujah, will send me back. (laughs) And he died again. But that's not the point. The point is life. Not physical life that will come to an end, but spiritual life that never will come to an end. You know, we never know why God causes some people to rise to prominence while others remain in obscurity. But the goal is the same. We want people, whether in masses or in ones and twos, to come to know our great God. To come to know that that our God saves. That our God loves. And that our God has paid the ultimate price to bring people home. We want people to meet our glorious, redeeming God that we love who first loved us. Many people, verse 19. Verse 21, the conversation with Martha begins. I don't believe that her words are accusatory. I believe that their raw emotions of grief mingled with confidence about what Jesus would have done had He been present. Verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, 
Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She doesn't say, if you were here, my brother might not have died. She says, if you were here, he wouldn't have died. That's a, a very confident assertion. She's grieving. She's sad. She may be upset. This may be, there may be some mingling of accusation, but I, I really feel there's more just expression of grief from a, a child of God to her Savior. And what better place to bring your problems? What better person to bring your griefs? Someone who bears long with you and me. Someone who sympathizes with us in our weaknesses. What better place, what better person to go to with your grief? And that's where Martha goes. She, she goes to meet Him and says, I am distraught. If you were here, my brother wouldn't be dead. In verse 22, she expresses something radical. Some bold confidence about what Jesus could do even in this moment in her grief. This is what she says in verse 22. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Does she actually think that Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead? Probably not. We see the mingling of her confidence in Jesus with her normal humanity in verse 39 when Jesus says, take the stone away. And she says, he's been dead for four days already. By now he reeks. I love the King James Version of this. By now he stinketh. Stink is bad enough when you add an F to it. It's worse. He really stinketh. But you can see the confidence. You could ask God and He'll do it for you. But you can also see this is not a good situation. Can we leave the stone alone? I don't want to smell death today. Jesus makes a statement in verse 23 that could be interpreted in the present or about the future. Look at what it says in verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Your brother will rise again. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now you can do this. Your brother will rise again. Martha interprets Jesus' statement theologically and futuristically. Verse 24, Martha said to Him, I know that He will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Her theological persuasion would be in line with the Pharisees who believed in the resurrection rather than the Sadducees who did not. The Pharisees believed in the literal interpretation of the Old Testament. And so they would say, see the references all through the Old Testament to resurrection as something that would actually take place. And the Sadducees did not see things in that literal way and therefore they didn't see resurrection as something that would take place. For the next few moments, I want for us to talk about resurrection. And the first way we want to see it as we consider this is the resurrection is a recurring expectation for God's people. The resurrection is a recurring expectation for God's people. Listen to these two Old Testament passages, then we'll look at a couple of passages in the Gospel of John. 
In Psalm 16, God's Word says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, the grave, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the paths of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Clearly a reference, and it is applied to Jesus in Acts chapter 2, but it's a reference to a person's body going into the grave and not staying there eternally. How about this one from Daniel chapter 12? It says, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. There's a reference to resurrection. Jesus was very clear in his teaching that there was a future resurrection for people to look forward to. Take a look at John chapter 5 for a moment. John 5. He's already mentioned it in the company of some of these folks. John chapter 5, take a look at verse 25, where God's Word says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Verse 28, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now we could talk about that extensively. We have done that previously. Just as a summary statement, how do we have a record of goodness so that we'll have the resurrection of life as opposed to a resurrection of that leads to judgment that is tied completely to whether we're going to believe Jesus, to take Jesus at His Word, to believe Him as the One who stood in our place condemned to take our condemnation. To believe Him to not only take away our condemnation, but to give us righteousness. Those who come out that have believed Christ will be raised to the resurrection of life. At any rate, we've got this resurrection. Look at chapter 6. The Gospel of John chapter 6. Look at verses 39 and 40. Jesus is very clear that there is a literal resurrection of physical bodies. It says in verse 39, And this is the will of Him who sent Me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given Me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of My Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. So Jesus attests to the resurrection. Of course, the New Testament apostles also do that. You can see it clearly in a passage like 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 20. It says, But in fact... Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The first of many. The first of many. Will you be one of those who was raised from the dead and raised to life eternal in the presence of God? According to Jesus, that's if you will believe Him, you'll take Him at His word. So there is a literal resurrection. It is the expectation of God's people from cover to cover of the Scriptures. Secondly, Jesus has the power to raise the dead. Jesus has the power to raise the dead. He's already told us this as well. We've actually seen it uh, in in, in, in the Gospels where Jesus has raised a young girl from the dead. 
Before he raised Lazarus, he raised a young girl from the dead. Remember? Little girl, get up. (laughs) And she got up. Get her something to eat. (laughs) She needs to eat now. She's she's alive and she has all the, the needs that everyone that's alive has. Little girl, get up. Jesus has already stated that He has the power even to raise Himself from the dead. Think about this from John chapter 10, verses, uh, verse 18. He says, No one takes it, My life, from Me, but I lay it down of My own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge or this authority I have received from My Father. Jesus not only can raise a little girl from the dead and raise Lazarus from the dead, As he lays his life down, he can raise himself from the dead. He has the authority to do that. Amazing. Now look back at John 5 for a second. John 5. Jesus has the power to raise the dead. That's what we're talking about. But it's it's beyond just the physical. If it's just about the physical, it's temporary. He does much better work than temporary work in time and space for a short duration. What He offers is grander, greater, more glorious than something small and temporal. He offers real, enduring life. Look at chapter 5 of John and verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, So the Son also, or so also the Son, gives life to whom He will. Look down at verse 26. For as the Father has life in Himself, He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. We see sparingly Jesus raising physically people from the dead. Sparingly. But what we see in momentous, proportions is Jesus raising the spiritually dead. He's been doing it for thousands of years on all the continents in all these countries. And there will be, as He's promised, people from every tribe, every people, every nation, every tongue. He's raising people who are spiritually dead to spiritual life. It is an incredible blessing. Jesus gives life because He is life. So, thinking a little bit further, biblical resurrection is brimming with hope. Brimming is a good word, right? It's overflowing. You've got your cup. You want just a little bit of coffee in it? We want a lot of coffee. Are you non-coffee drinkers? You want a little bit of tea in it? Or a lot of tea? Oh, you you don't do any of that stuff. You're very, very uh, health conscious and you just want to drink water. You want a little bit of water? Or you want a lot of water? Biblical resurrection is filled to the top with hope. I want you to think about this. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is speaking. He says, His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the... What's the next word? Joy 
of your master. That is a reference to entrance into the kingdom, reference to entering into heaven, a reference to entering into the presence of God. It is characterized by joy. To think about death now is not pleasant. To think about life in the presence of God is brimming with joyful expectation. Again, we made reference to this earlier, but Psalm 16, now verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is what? Fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is not like, okay, we're all going to sit around and contemplate our navel. Everyone's going to go in their corner and just meditate all day. Every day. Endlessly. That sounds like detention. To enter into the presence of God is to enter into the fullness of joy. That for which our soul has been made. The gift of life that God offers to me and to you is a gift of fullness of joy and pleasure in His presence forever. The resurrection is entrance into God's full, everlasting joy. And therefore, it is also the absence of some things. Think about what Revelation 7.17 says. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, His presence. He will guide them to the springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Think about what Revelation 21.4 says. He, God, the Father, will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. I make all things new. This is what He is promising to us. Biblical resurrection is brimming with hope. It is the fullness of joy. It is the absence of pain. It's the absence of turmoil. It's the absence of death. It's the removal of sorrow. It's all over. So, biblical resurrection is brimming with hope. But we have to know this. This is really important to our life, and it's important to our study of the Gospel of John, chapter 11. The ultimate point of the resurrection is being with God. The ultimate point of the resurrection is being with God. Listen to what God says to Abram in Genesis 15.1. After these things, the Word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Now, in some translations, it says your reward will be great, your reward will be exceedingly great, and it, it, it talks about it like, okay, now, you're going you're to have some great stuff. But the, the Hebrew just says, your reward, your reward, very great. Your reward, very great. I am your shield, your very great reward is the way that I believe it should be translated. God Himself is the reward. And that's how Jeremiah phrases it in Jeremiah chapter 3. Now we, we kind of have 
verses 22 and 23 in our head that, that His mercies are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. But verse 30, uh, 24 says, The Lord is my portion, says the Lord. Therefore I will hope in Him. When it says that the Lord is our portion, it's the, He's the inheritance. Everything I am looking for and need is what He is. The ultimate point of the resurrection is being with God. And with that being said, I want to ask you a series of questions. Can we agree that resurrection is the expectation of God's people? Secondly, can we agree that this resurrection unto eternal life is granted through Jesus Christ? Thirdly, can we agree that this resurrection is brimming with hope? Fourthly, can we agree that this resurrection is ultimately about being with God? Okay, if that's the case, what Jesus says to Martha next really makes a lot of sense. Look again at verse, uh, back in chapter 11, John chapter 11. Look again at verse 24. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus' reply makes a lot of sense. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. You're right to look to the future with hope, but your hope is standing right in front of you. I know that He'll rise again in the resurrection. Martha, resurrection is right here. Your resurrection is about being with me, and here I am. Look. Look at who's standing right in front of you. I am the hope that you're looking forward to. Look no further. Don't miss me while I'm here with you is essentially what Jesus may be saying. How, how impactful is this Jesus? For those who believe Him, He is resurrection. Listen to how this phrase goes, right? I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in Me, though he die, yet shall he live. For those who believe in Jesus, He is resurrection. Even when we die physically, we know that we will be resurrected. That's how that his, the follow-on. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He deals with the first one first. As the one who's the resurrection, even if you die, you'll be raised. He also says, I am the life. Now we see that in, in verse 26. Everyone who lives and believes in Me shall never die. For those who believe in Jesus, He is life. You have been made spiritually alive through faith in Him. And that life cannot and will not be taken from you. He is life. He's granted life. And that life doesn't die. So as resurrection, we die physically, but we'll be raised. As life, we've received life and it can never be taken away. This is what He's telling us. He's right in their midst. Martha is crying. Rightly, her brother died. If you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. Even now, you can get it. You, you, could, you could ask the Father. He'll give you what you want. Your brother will rise again. Oh yeah, I know in the last day he'll rise. Martha, the resurrection is standing in front of you. 
Life is standing in front of you. Don't miss me while I'm here with you. Be present in the moment. And you know, friends, I look forward to that day where my sin is no longer a struggle to me. My weakness is no longer there. Pain is gone. The grind is over. I look forward to that. That's wonderful. It's about the future. Don't miss the gift that's with you right now. He dwells in you right now. The resurrection and the life dwells in you right now. Don't miss Him right now. We're encouraged in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 19 to take hold of that which is truly life. Ultimately, that means entrusting ourselves to our Savior who is our life. Having expressed to Martha that He is the resurrection and the life that she needs, and having expressed the results, which is guarantee of physical resurrection and guarantee of unending eternal spiritual life, Jesus asks this question, do you believe this? And what comes in verse 27, we think about this, what comes in verse 27 takes place, I know you know this, before what takes place in verses 40 and following. What takes place in verses 40 and following? Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. So Martha's statement of faith that takes place right now in verse 27 takes place before Jesus ever raised Lazarus from the dead, so which makes it that much more profound. Do you believe this, Martha? I am the resurrection and the life that no man that, that dies won't be raised that believes in me, and those who have received life from me will never have that life taken away. Do you believe this, Martha? I believe, she says. I believe, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, the One who is coming into the world. She declares that He is the promised Messiah, the One that was coming to rescue and fulfill all the promises. She, she, she claims it as so. Faith in Jesus was the purpose of the sign miracles. And the purpose of the Gospel of John. We see it page after page, sign after sign, Sign after sign that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That in belief you might have life in and through His name. This is what He's offering to us. This Messiah that she makes a proclamation of faith in is not, it's not just a promised Messiah who does stuff for us. He is the very gift that we need. Lord, help us to look out for what You are. For what You are. Not just what You do for us, but to savor You. My son and I occasionally send each other pictures of gifts that we have given to each other. And with that picture of a gift, we say, I haven't forgotten who bought this for me. It's a way to express that we value the giver more than the gift itself. And in the case of our good shepherd, our good Savior, He is both the gift and the giver. To that I say, thank you God. So let's pray, and then we'll transition into our celebration of the Lord's Supper.
Father, we are amazed at You and Your grace, Your mercy, Your kindness, Your love, and Your provision of Jesus. We ask that You'd help us that we would not seek the gift, but to savor the giver, You, our good God, from whom every perfect (coughs) gift comes. Every good and perfect gift comes from you, our Father. Thank you. Help us as we rejoice together in the life we have received as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We pray that your word, that your truth would capture our attention and that we would see our Savior the giver and the gift as precious in Jesus' name.